I want everyone to know, um, first off, who I am. I want them to get to know me personally because uh, that's, I think, the biggest connection or the biggest motivator is getting to know the real person behind it. The one thing that everyone has said about my shows is that if they, I want that they feel like they could be standing on stage with me doing the same thing that I'm just, I'm a guy living a dream with some, with talent. Um, but I want to be able to <clears throat> show how you can overcome adversity over and over and over again. This is episode number 118 with Ryan Weaver. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in and spending a little bit of your time with us here today. Once again, my name is Dave Brown. I'm a real estate investor, a lifestyle entrepreneur, and the co-host here, along with my partner, Gold Star Wife, author and speaker, Barbara Allen. And we are super excited for today's show. Uh, but before we get to that, just want to talk to you a little bit about uh, what we do here and why, right? Uh, we're a big believer in the American dream, uh, that this is the land of opportunity. And we believe that stories are the best way for you to be able to get inspired to fulfill your potential, strengthen your purpose, and learn new strategies to take on your goals and live the life that you want to live. Uh, and there's no better way to get motivated, to be inspired, and to learn than from listening to other stories of people who have been there and who have done that. People who have overcome struggles and challenges and adversity. People who are living exceptional lives. People who are living the American dream. People who are giving back to their communities and lifting other people up, right? That's the best way to learn is by listening to the story of another person so you can take all the golden nuggets and the lessons that they each individually have and start to apply them in your own life. So I just want to, again, thank you for being here each and every week. If you've gotten any value out of any of the episodes that we've done here, please share them on Instagram, uh, share them with a friend, tell a friend what we're doing here, and just continue to check in and listen in each and every week. Uh, and we have another one of those stories for you here today. His name is Ryan Weaver. Ryan is a country music artist whose overnight success has been 13 years in the making. Today, he's a patriotic voice of the PBR, and he travels around the world performing on legendary stages and in iconic studios. From Madison Square Garden to Australia, he's living his version of the American dream. On the surface, he's the picture of success, and he's loving the experience of his rising star status. But underneath... He's an intensely driven man who's been through immense tragedy and who's paid an enormous price for the opportunity he's now enjoying. So listen in as Ryan shares his story of military service, the deaths of his brother and brother-in-law who served in the military, the complexities of the music industry, and how he's using his hard-earned platform to create a legacy of patriotism. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen and Ryan Weaver. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. 
Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen. So very excited to be here today with Ryan Weaver. You know, you're just, what's up? You know, you're just going about your life and people pop up on your radar and you wonder how the heck have I not been connected to this person before in my life? That is what happened to me when I saw Ryan Weaver and when you get to hear his story and we talk about what he's doing now and why he's doing it, you are going to feel exactly the same way. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down today and talk with us. Well, it's an honor to get to chat with you as well. You and I had some great conversations leading up to this interview, and I'm extremely uh, honored to have uh, you know some time to get to chat with you a little bit about what we've got going on. Yeah, perfect. So tell everybody first off your background and you know what I'm referencing. People who have been following us for a while know that I am a gold star wife, know that that's my tie to the military community. Um, you have also served and you have more in common with us, unfortunately, than that. So go ahead and tell us your background here for a minute. Well, uh, I think the big thing, the biggest thing that ties us together right now is that we are both Gold Star family members, and I'm a two-time Gold Star family member. Uh, I was a Black Hawk helicopter pilot in the Army, first military intelligence, then became a warrant officer and flew Black Hawks. My brother and I were deployed to Iraq together in 2003 and 2004, and he was a cancer survivor, was non-deployable, had to get bi-monthly blood screenings for his cancer to make sure that it was still in remission, and he was flying to Baghdad Hospital when the medevac helicopter, he was a passenger and was shot down and everyone was killed on board. I came back from Iraq to his funeral and also was non-deployable at that point due to the Sole Survivor Act. My brother-in-law, Randy, was flying in Afghanistan in 2013 and he was shot down in the Black Hawk that he was piloting. Everyone except for a passenger in the back was killed and we became a two-time Gold Star family on December 17th in 2013. Having said that, I, I think that we both know that that's not what defines who we are, but it is a part of who we are. And in my history in, in the military with almost 21 years of active duty service also doesn't define what I'm doing right now, but it is yeah. a big part of the story as to what's happened now with my life post-military. So I'm, I'm happy to say that that I've been able to deal with those losses in the best way possible, but my life is completely different than it was back then. Yeah. And they, those things absolutely disrupt the path that you're on to put it minimally, you know, and, and set you on another course. Like they pick you up and shake you and move you and put you down over here. And then you just have to pick up from where you are and yep. figure out where the heck to go from there. So first off, thank you for your service. And did I see also that your sister also served? We're actually a family of military. My grandfather was a belly gunner in World War II. My father, dad, was a Marine. My brother, my oldest brother, Steve, was an aviator. Aaron, who was killed in action, was an aviator. I was an aviator. Uh, Steve is actually still an aviator. My oldest brother, he's my half-brother by adoption, so that'll explain a couple of things as far as the Soul Survivor Act is concerned. Then my sister, Regina, was also Air Force, so we have a a full military family. That is outrageous. That's just wild in itself, like every little piece of the story. And so for me, you know, everybody attaches a story to themselves and has to relate to their lives, right? So for me, being the a gold star wife and knowing that like enormous risk and life and loss and pain. I'm also a parent and I'm a parent of kids who are now the same age as 
military personnel who are deployed and being killed and being wounded. So I look at it as a parent too. And I'm wondering, you know, how have your parents, how did they, I mean, even before tragedy hit, you know, how were they with you all serving and, you know, well, I think that because we had a, a, a family of military service yeah. and a background of military service, it was almost, a, you know, when, when we were growing up as kids, my oldest brother, Steve, was in, he was in the Ranger Regiment. And we kind of followed, he was our, our superhero even back then. You know, it was kind of one of those things. My dad was a police officer um, prior to, um, I mean, he's not a police officer anymore, but he was a, a police officer when Steve joined the military. So we almost had that we were, you know, part of our lives that was, you had that risk that was inherent because my dad was a police officer. And, and, um, but I, I, you know, once we all got in the military, it was before nine 11, it was garrison, you know, everybody was just training. And if you're going to, if something was going to happen, it'd be through a training accident. It wouldn't necessarily be through combat. Right. Then nine 11 happened. And, you know, I was at flight school when, when the towers fell and my mom called me in the middle of flight school and told me when the first plane hit and woke, but, and woke me up. And then I watched the second plane hit on the news and I told her we were going to war. I knew immediately that yeah. we were going to go to, we were going to war. There was no, there was no way around it at, at that point I, is, that I could see. And it was, you know, everybody's lives changed that day and, and the way that we felt about our security and the way that we, um, lived our lives. It was, it was kind of ironically beautiful at the same time because we came together as a nation, but also, you know, we knew as a family that we were going to be finding ourselves in combat. I mean, it was part of what you signed on the line for. No one can ever prepare you for the loss. That that's a whole different ball game. It, no one's prepared for that. They don't teach, have manuals on that, especially when it comes to losing your only full blood sibling and who you followed in their footsteps your entire, your entire military career with exception of going to Ranger regiment. I was never that tough, but, but my mom, my mom, it was just part of what, what, I mean, her dad served, her uncle served. So she had a history of military as well on, on her side of the family. And it was, you know, it was, it was part of who, it was almost part of our DNA to, to serve. So, I mean, I can't say the best the, the best way to describe the way my my parents handle it, but they were one hundred percent without question supportive of what we were doing and and knew that there were inherent dangers, especially we, because we were aviators as well. I mean, when every time you come off the ground in a helicopter, you don't know whether you're coming down the same piece or not. It's not designed to fly, it's designed to crash, as they tell us in flight school. Oh, that's so, that's comforting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean a helicopter is <laughs> not gonna stay up in the sky by itself. So yeah. It but it, but it can definitely hit the ground by itself. <laughs> well. Anyway, bad way of thinking about it, but it's the absolute yeah. truth in the aviation field. Yeah, no, just because it's true doesn't mean it has to be good, right? So right. You, even bad truths are truths and you gotta acknowledge them. So Talk then, when did you decide to, to leave the military? I actually retired from the military with almost 21 years in at 2012. So at 20 years, eight months and seven days, I give you the hours if I remember. How when old I were you when you, re, when you, how old were you when you went into the military? I was 18. Jeez. I went straight out of high school. Yeah. Crazy. So okay. yeah, straight out of high school, retired at 39. So it was pretty cool to be able to say I had a retirement check at 39. But that's also, yeah. you know, had I not done that, I wouldn't be able to, wouldn't have been able to chase this dream in country music because I'd be flat broke and having to find 
16 different jobs to try and pay for it. <laughs> which, yeah, which a lot of, and that is obviously where we are going next. But before we go into what path you're on now, I want to spend a couple minutes on when you got out of the military. Were you mm-hmm. married at that time? I was not. I was you divorced, not, actually. I got okay. divorced in the middle of flight school, actually. Okay, which is an, a very common story in, in all lines of service. Um, yeah, I mean, divorce is something life. that happens Yeah, it happens a lot with folks. And uh, obviously in the military, it's something that, you know, you have to be a special yeah. breed of, of spouse, whether yeah. it be a, a wife or husband um, you, and, and kids. You have to be special yeah. breeds of, of family members because you're dealing with a... Um, you, you, that loved one being gone all the time and also the inherent risk of them not coming back. Yes. Uh, that's always there. It's inevitable to that when you end up in those situations that folks are going to be feeling that way on occasion. So, yeah, I mean, I got divorced in the middle of flight school, but um, then, you know, I was single for quite some time. But when I retired from the military, I was single when I moved up uh, to Nashville. Oh, to Na- and you moved to Nashville to follow that, that dream that you had. Yep, which is with, well, which is singing country music. I wanted to. Uh, everybody asked has asked me since I started this what my goal in country music was, and uh, you know it's to have people singing my songs and sold out arenas, and uh, it was kind of cool how that all came full circle this past year. Yeah, I mean you are soaring, um, yeah, and trying. The fact, <laughs> the fact that I had not come across you before doesn't mean that. I mean, obviously, I did come across you, right? And I feel like my my experience coming across you is going to become more and more common more and more uh, heard of more and more people are going to be coming across you because right. you're just taking over and your music i freaking love it your song by the way is it never forgotten i have i can't really make it through that song but that's a good thing neither can right? i yeah that's a that's a yeah. i mean that's the point right i i, I wrote it and and yeah. if you could imagine i when, when every time I per, that was performed in <clears throat> excuse me every arena across the nation last year in a T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas for the PBR World Finals, Professional Bull Riders World Finals, and when I replaced Steven Tyler as the headliner, but we, we honored our fallen that night. And if you can imagine the way uh, the way the show went was never forgotten was played. I'm standing in the middle of the arena on what's called the shark cage, and it's right out in the middle. And um, as soon as they would play that video, they would honor a local fallen fan or local, local fallen heroes family. And then I had to sing the national anthem. So I'm sitting here with the earplugs in, you know, the, my inner monitors in, and I have to, had to turn them off because the last verse where it says reminded of you and your daughter's eyes. Um, I can never make it through that part of the song, watching the video and without losing it. And, so imagine trying to sing the national anthem with tears running down your face and it's like cats in a water bucket. It's horrible. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But you know, I mean, it just makes it more powerful and it takes a lot of strength to, to get through something like that and push it. And I'm sure it's impact. It impacts a lot of people. A, there's really nobody in life that hasn't lost somebody close right. to them that they love. So everybody can relate, but then the people you know, military law enforcement first responders who go through that particular loss and watching that video. It's an extra, it's extra. (laughs) There's a lot of, but it's good, you know, it's beautiful. Hmm? Yeah. There's a lot of really cool stuff in that video that a lot of folks don't know. So the folks that are listening to this, if you want to take the time to go watch it, um, just to kind of give everybody a little bit of a background on that video, if that's cool. Yes, please. 
So Rich Miller, he's the detective that speaks at the beginning about raising the flag on Tower 2's antenna. Um, that He has not talked about that in an interview at, ever. Oh. That's the first time that he's actually told that story in a public forum because he's been asked by Fox News and CNN. I mean, every major news network that's out there, when it happened, he was asked. But um, the video of that, of him hanging that flag, was inside a fro. It was taken inside a frozen zone. So until the investigation on what happened was done, nobody knew that happened except for right. the people inside the frozen zone because everything that was happening inside those inside the frozen zone couldn't be talked about. So if you remember the flag that the firefighters hung that turned into a postage stamp and all that, yeah, it was done because of that flag that he raised. But he talked about it in this Never Forgotten tribute video. The families um, from the 9-11 uh, heroes, I don't call them victims, I call them heroes, but the 9-11 heroes, the families, they were responding, if you go watch that again, they were responding to seeing those lockers for the first time. They had not seen those lockers that were frozen yeah. from, from the day that happened and the, the memorial lockers that they did, which was incredible. Um, to, to know that you're getting a very genuine reaction. Both my family members are in there. We got almost all of our family together for that video. There's a, a one scene of us on the dock. Um, that was my high school that we were in. That was my dad and wow. my brother. Uh, that was my dad and my brother looking at my brother's memorial that they put out in front of our, our county courthouse in uh, Citrus County, um, or our city courthouse, but um, in Inverness. There's just a ton of stuff that's in there. And then, you know, uh, you have a Border Patrol agent, the Dallas police officers that were killed in that attack in Dallas, and but a Border Patrol agent that was killed in a, in a drug bust. Um, you know, all of their families were, were in this. And, you know, it's, it's, it was a pretty, it was one of those moments. I, I co-wrote the song actually with Taylor Swift's drummer, Matt Billingsley, and, and, a, and a couple other gentlemen. But, um, to be able to co-write the song and turn it into a music video at that and then have it played in every major arena with no song on the radio, no management, no record label, no record label, nothing. Yeah. And headline all those shows as the primary entertainment for the professional bull riders. It was just an incredible experience. But to be able to honor those families and get to meet so many American heroes across the spectrum of heroes, not just military, but across right. the spectrum of heroes. It was incredible. It was, it was an awesome experience to get the, especially with that video. So if anybody out there wants to go watch something that is actually worth watching, I think that that one's a good one to do. I do too. I do too. And you know, I've, I've obviously seen a lot of videos. I've been to a lot of events that honor people. And, and I think again, as a family member of a, of a soldier, you know, who was killed, um, I know the enormous amount of trust it takes for those families to participate in something like that. And, and I know the amount of people that can come at the families almost like to exploit them and, you know, exploit the, you know, the pain and the gore and the shock and trauma just for their, you know, their tease or something. So I think all around you handle that beautifully, A, to get through that on your own, as personal as it was to you, B, so that those families trusted you enough and you could tell it was genuine there and see in the way that you honored that trust. So I have to give the PBR a lot of credit on that um, because the, the professional bull riders, I, I, 
uh, Rich Miller helped me get the the 9-11 families. They had the Dallas police officer families and the Border Patrol agent because the Border Patrol agent was one of their primary sponsors. So they they reached out. So I have to give the PBR a lot of credit. Corey Kelly, the guy who, who directed and produced the video, um, really took the message of the song and took them um, and, and created something that was extremely poignant that is meaningful and has you know, one of the things that I think a lot of us in, in our community, we get focused on just honoring, you know, the, our, our little microcosm, microcosm because our own lives are microcosms, right. but our, our microcosms of heroes. Um, and usually if it's military, you're honoring military. And right. this gave me an opportunity because my father being a police officer, my uncle being a, a, a firefighter, my brother-in-law being a police officer. My co- I mean, I have a family of police officers and firefighters in my family as well. Right. And to be able to honor all heroes across the board. And then I really got to know a lot about the border patrol um, and what they do. And, and, you know, it was, it was just a, an awesome opportunity to get to do that. But the PBR really stepped up when it came to creating that video and allowing me my creative freedom to write the video and, and, or excuse me, write the song, but they, they really did it up. They did it right. Awesome. And so, yeah, let's talk about that. You are the headline entertainment. Your name is almost synonymous with the PBR now, right? So, and it was just faster. Yep. Yeah. As you mentioned, you don't have a label. You're not out there on the radio. And anybody who has tried to break into any industry will know how difficult that is um, to break into an industry, both the performing arts industry, I think, is especially difficult uh, when you're trying to do that. And I can't, I, I'm dying to hear how you, how you manage that because there are so many people and I want everybody who is trying to break into something and chase that dream to pay close attention to this part because so many people expect to go in or they see you, for instance, exploding overnight and they're like, oh, that guy's got it easy now, but they don't see all the work that has gone into this and all the work that continues to go into it. They just see what's happening right now before them. So talk about how you can, as one person on your own, with no experience in the industry, barge into an industry and kind of make it, you craft it around your own self without going the conventional path. Well, I I will say this. I'm going to be a 13 year overnight success. I'm not an overnight success. It, it, it took me 13 years to, to even get to this point. So it wasn't something that, you know, all those overnight successes that happen out there, there are very, very few that go from nothing to huge. Um, if ever, um, does that happen? But, um, for me, this is a kind of a long story and I'll try and give you the, the bulleted, um, version of it, but I started off in a club or started off singing karaoke and singing competitions in flight school to help me pay my bills. And I didn't realize and that. So it was later in life. I didn't even know it was something. And and I was winning. Um, I didn't realize it was something I was good at doing. I didn't realize it was something I enjoyed doing. Um, and then I just started doing it for fun. And then I, but I was like, Hey, well, people are responding to what I'm doing. Let me try and get in a karaoke competition. And I did, and I won. And, and then I went to, went to Iraq and combat and, and all that happened with Aaron. And I was, I started writing songs in Iraq and I realized it was something also that I enjoyed doing because I did poetry and stuff like that in high school, but never really did the songwriting thing. Cause I, I played the violin, but I wasn't super talented at it by any stretch of the imagination. 
uh, I enjoyed it. But anyway, so went to Iraq, all that stuff happened with Aaron and I decided, you know, I was letting my life pass me by and, and I, I followed in Aaron's footsteps to be an aviator, but quite honestly, Aaron and Steve enjoyed flying a lot more than I did. I, I, I thought it was, it's cool to be able to say that I was an aviator, but I always like shooting straight with people. It was to me more, much more technical. They are so much smarter than I am and can, but for me, it was just much more technical than enjoyable. And plus most of my hours, my flight hours were in combat. So everything was, you didn't know whether you're coming back because we had aircraft getting shot down left and right. And it just, that's why when I talk, I'm going to go off on a little bit of attention. That's, okay. that's, why, yeah. that's why I say when the guys that are handling this stuff on the ground that do this on a day-to-day basis, I, I'm not, I mean, I went to combat, but I, I never had to deal with that stuff. And I, I just, I, I can't say that I would know if, how I would deal with it, but that's why I have an immense amount of respect for, you know, our combat, uh, our combat forces, the infantry, the, you know, the combat MOS's jobs out there just because I couldn't imagine having to deal with that. So back to where I was, where I was at, but, um, so I started, uh, doing, uh, songwriting over there and then Aaron died came back to uh, his funeral and then was redeployed back to Fort Rucker they had the Fort Rucker's military auto competition I don't know if you remember there was a military auto competition that they did around the military and, yeah. and I actually got runner-up uh, the guy who won went to nationals and because he was gone I got to open up for Tracy Lawrence and Daryl Worley for Fort Rucker's 50th anniversary right. and essentially all I did was op- uh, sing tracks but I also met the army rock band that was playing off post a bunch uh, there were uh, three non-commissioned officers that had a band that were playing off post at the bars and they needed country music to mix in with them so that was on a saturday their next gig was on thursday they said give us your we rehearsed on wednesday it was nothing but cover songs but i handed them all sent them all the cover songs that i knew and they already knew them all so i just started playing that the, the small bar scene around enterprise alabama and dothan alabama around port rucker I made a goal for myself that every six months I was going to move to larger clubs and larger venues. I started branding Ryan Weaver and Ride or R-Y-D-E. We ended up evolving through the branding process with that, uh, or I ended up evolving through the branding process to make myself a solo artist as opposed to a band, which was a big thing to start focusing on the business side of it and not just the passion of loving music and chasing after it. But I had to focus on that branding aspect. Um, move to the medium sized clubs within six months, move to larger clubs within, uh, eight months. And then was opening for national acts within a year, um, doing the festival and, and national acts scene. But I set the, my, I set goals to do that. I established relationships with promoters, with club owners, with, I had a band that I played with for a short period of time that already had bigger clubs, uh, under their belt because of a different artist that they worked with. So I escalated pretty quickly, but I was also traveling back and forth to Nashville almost every weekend, every other weekend, if I wasn't doing a show. Um, and I attended a George Jones university. It was actually, actually, by the way, George Jones, when I, um, won that, uh, I won a singing competition for the radio station down there right after the military idol. My first opening act national act was George Jones. Awesome. Yeah. It was pretty killer to be able to say that. But, um, <laughs> so I was traveling back and forth to George, the and we did this George Jones university thing. It was essentially 300 bucks to hand your business card out. It was something that I felt that was, uh, I got invited by several folks. They said it would be a great networking opportunity and they were going to have some great speakers there to, um, 
to give you a little insight on the music business for outsiders coming in. And one of the first people that got up and spoke, and this is one of the most important things that I tell everybody whenever they say, my son or daughter's getting into the business, can you give me some advice? So Wayne Halper, he was the chief operating officer, I believe it was for Capitol Records when Garth Brooks took off. And he's a lawyer now, an entertainment lawyer and whatnot. But he was, when Garth Brooks took off, he got to see that meteoric rise. And he said, the first two things he said, I'm going to shoot straight with you. He said, there are two things that you need to know or two things about the music business that are going to help you, that are going to make you successful and talent isn't one of them. And I said, I don't necessarily <laughs> believe that because you got to have some talent even said, but he said, who, you know, and how much money you have. Those are the two things that are going to make you successful in the music business. And a lot of folks say, Oh, it's, it starts with a song and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It, I agree with you that it starts with a song. There's so many different peripheral things that you can say that it starts with. But the bottom line is this, who you know is going to get you the best possible song that you can have that's going to get you out, that's going to get you noticed by a record label. Who you know is going to get you noticed by a record label. Who you know is going to get you the money that you're going to need to pay that to pay for that record or for the record label to want to invest in you. So the who you know is really the most important part, but you can't do any of it without money. You can't, you can't, promote songs. You can't get music videos done. You can't get any of that stuff done. So on the very basic value of it, it's who you know and how much money you have. It's the same in any business. It really is. Your networking possibilities are the are what are going to make, I mean, you as well as I know, we, just even talking with each other on what mm -hmm. you've got going on with this conference coming up, the, the folks that you get to know show the credibility that you have as an artist or as a speaker or as a, a business person, a, yeah. a business person, period. And yeah. so for me, I, the first, he said, there are a thousand people that come that as soon as he got done saying that, he said, there are a thousand people who come to Nashville with a guitar and a dream a day. And there are a thousand people that leave Nashville with an empty guitar case because they had to sell the guitar to get back home because they didn't learn about the music business has nothing to do with how much you care about it. That's what's going to keep you here. What's going to pay your bills is the music is is learning about the music business, and if you are broke, you aren't going to stay here. Yes, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's really what it boiled down to, and it's brutal, but it's business. I mean, it is absolutely brutal in its business. So that was the advice that I got when I first got started. So I started coming back, you know, going back and forth in the town and networking with folks and trying to um, market myself as best possible become more experienced, build a fan base. And it takes time. It takes time. It takes money. It takes effort. And my band, my first band will tell you, I was the first one there bringing in the sound, bringing in the banners, bringing in all that stuff. Mm -hmm. They'd bring in their instruments. We'd do our sound check. I would take it all. I was the last one to leave in all of our bar shows until I got to the point to where I could have a production company do my sound for me. But I was that first person there and back and worked my tail off to get to that point. So anyway, now let's, move forward to 2014. Um, I think it was 2014. Yeah. Yeah. 2014. When I, I was going into town in 2007, I wrote a song called crank it. And it was the very first song I ever wrote in Nashville. And I actually got a writing appointment with somebody because I had, was paying a consultant to get me relationships with folks. Which people so don't understand all those steps you have to take and oh, you yeah. have to invest and, Handing I mean, over I, that money when you don't have it and you're worried about your bills, you're like, well, oh yeah. 
either you well, want I was fortunate that was on active yeah. duty. I was yeah, fortunate yeah, yeah, I was yeah, on yeah. active duty and still had a paycheck at the time. But yeah, I mean, uh, what a lot of folks, if you don't have relationships in town yeah. and you don't live in town, you have to create relationships in town. And one of the ways to be able to do that is to pay somebody to help you get relationships. And it sounds horrible. And would I recommend that to anybody? No, I would recommend you moving to Nashville and spending that same money on an apartment for a couple of years. <laughs> That's what I would say. But um, to, to, to roommate with somebody for a couple of years. But uh, having said that, you know, I, I co-wrote a song. We were, it was Crank It that we got. Um, and then we crowdfunded the music video. I got the, the music video funded uh, through, through crowdfunding. And we put that out and that actually escalated my ability to uh, char uh, charge more money for shows. Because once you have something out on national television, everybody's paying attention to it and so on and so forth. Still didn't have a song on the radio. Still didn't have a record deal. Still didn't have management. Put the video together. All that stuff got it funded. Yeah. got So that got done. And then we went a couple of years of just doing shows um, and, and getting a, you know, a little bit more of a fan base here and there. And then I, I really started focusing on um, getting, it was actually 2012, in the 2012. Yep. It was the end of 2012. It wasn't 14. So because the reason I say that is because then at that point I was transitioning out of the military, working two part-time jobs as a bar back, a personal trainer and going to college full-time for my oh, degree man. in aeronautics. And then, then I was trying to get myself back on my feet. And if you could imagine a little bit on the personal side, still had child support, still had kids, my, my kids doing sports, still had all that stuff going on. And I was broke. I was straight up broke. And then I met my wife and then I became the richest man in the world. Aww. But, um, <laughs> it sounds corny, but it's the truth. No, I love um, that stuff. Or we'll circle back to that later. Yeah. So I met, but I met my wife and, um, her dad was nice enough to give me a job with a salary. Um, and he said, if you work three hours, we, I know you need to do music. If you work three hours a week or you work 90 hours a week, you're going to get this salary. That's going to help you pay your bills. Um, and I started working with her as a corporate meeting planning and a corporate, her corporate meeting planning business. And that afforded me the opportunity to go out on rights. It afforded me the opportunity to go out and do shows. Um, and still my bills were paid because I was not doing music when I was working two jobs and going to college full time. No. I just didn't have the opportunity to be, there was no time. Once again, that's the reason why everybody says it's who you know and how much money you have really, it, uh, even on a personal level, it was who I knew. So, um, that then uh, 2015, we started um, the concept for Burn. I actually got to, uh, I got introduced to the Charlie Daniels group of folks here in town. Um, and David Corley, Charlie Daniels manager, was kind enough to uh, invite me to come play the Ryman Auditorium and open up for Charlie at the Ryman Auditorium and then Bridgestone Arena uh, for the Volunteer Jam. Met the Benghazi guys, uh, Chris, uh, John. And that's where and, you met them? And that's where I met them. They were promoting the movie. Okay. It was right before the movie came out. Um, they, uh, John and uh, Tig Tigan and Mark Ozgeist were promoting the movie at the time. And I, I met them and I started talking to Oz actually initially and uh, about getting a song that I had already written uh, into the movie. How hard that would that be? And he, and, um, he said, well, we got to get it, get it recorded and we'll see what, you know, what we can do. And, and then, um, John actually started becoming more actively involved in that process. Um, cause Mark got really busy 
um, which happens. It's a, it's the business and what he was doing. They were promoting the movie, but John actually got really active and got Paramount to give me the authorization to use the trailer clips from the movie in there. Um, we ended up getting Chris Peranto on board with John and those two really spearheaded helping me getting it funded, getting the music video funded. Um, and it turned into, I mean, just this monster of a, I, I think it, you know, it, it's, it's super sky, cool. Yeah. skyrocketed in my career at, yeah. really at that point because the video was all over the world. Everybody was loving it. It was not, not going to be on CMT because people are shooting guns and stuff like that, you know, so it's a, it's a little bit more focused on the second amendment, you know, shooter world, tactical world right. kind of thing. And it's an entertainment piece as well, but it, we also honored the Benghazi four and my two brothers uh, in that, in that video got me a concert. Uh, called Freedom Fest out in Colorado. And I got to open for Doc and Warrant and Great White. And that's where the uh, CEO of the professional bull rider, Sean Gleason, was in the front row and he was the primary sponsor for it. So I got up on stage and I won't say exactly what I said when I got up on stage, but we were, it was a biker rally and I was the only veteran on the bill and it was a veteran nonprofit event. And you had 380s rock bands and I was open for them. And I got up on stage and we did three songs and Oz actually had driven two and a half hours to come watch the show and come up on stage with me when I was singing burn and that kind of stuff. And, um, I got three songs into the show and Dawkins manager came up on stage and told my acoustic player that we were done to get off because Dawkins wasn't going to start late. Yep. And I'll tell anybody this story because they treated everyone like dirt at that concert. I, and I, I, I'll call them on it any day. I, I, I could care less. Um, anyway, so yeah, they told me to get off stage and I didn't know about it. I was on the front of the stage. So my wife is filming with the camp with, with, with a phone and, and, uh, I find out I, I get done singing and Trey, my, my bass player at the time, he's also the bearded guy in my music video, but Craig, my acoustic player was, who's in the burn music video as well. He's the one that he talked to anyway. All that aside, I found out about it and I turned around and I just started dropping F-bombs like nobody's business. And it's a <laughs> veteran's, it's a, yeah, it's a, but it's a veteran's biker rally. It's yeah. at a bar. It, it's like, I mean, it's they an 80s rock it. show. Yeah. yeah, it's an 80s rock show. They can handle it. It's all military. I think that they were okay. It was not necessarily, I would say, a family conducive environment for any Wait. kind of a kid to be at anyway. But having said that. So I just told him, I said, you know, I'm the only veteran on this, this, this bill. They brought me out here to raise money for my brothers and sisters in arms. The headliner Dawkins just told me that I was not going to finish that. I'm, I'm d- done right now. And I said, and I said, you know what? I'm finishing my set anyway. And, but it, so then I, but I, I still hadn't got to talk about Aaron and Randy. Yeah, I still, yeah, yeah. I was on stage and I still didn't get to talk about him. And I made a promise to myself every time that I had an opportunity when I was on stage that I would tell their story. And I wasn't going to let that pass me by. Well, when I got done with this, Sean Gleason came up to me. I didn't know who he was, the CEO of the professional bull riders. And he handed me his business card, said, I work with the PBR. I've got some stuff going on. I'd love to get you involved in it. I said, great. And I, I, I said, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. I've heard great things about the PBR. They're an immensely patriotic organization. And, uh, and then there are 50 other people that I was talking to and, and I've made sure I always make sure that if I'm standing in front of somebody, they, they, they feel like their time is the most important time that's been that, that I'm giving them. And, um, you know, not my time, but their time is the most important time. And 
I spent that time with him and then I went up and signed autographs. He came up, bought some stuff, did the same thing. Went back to my RV and saw that the, the bus that they had set up and saw that it was the CEO of the PBR. And I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> so I went out there and uh, I said, you know, I said, I'm sorry, I didn't know who you were. And he's like, no. He said, Ryan, I sat back and I watched how you treat people. And he said, you make every single person feel like they're the most important person standing in front of you. And you give them the time. And he said, and that's what the PBR is about. And that's exactly why I want you on board with what we're doing. So that was 2016. It took us till 2017 to sign a contract at the Celebrate America EP. That's out there if you want to, uh, to get that recorded. We recorded that in uh, Legend Studio. I actually sang on the last microphone that Johnny Cash sang on for the High Women's album. It was the very last one that he recorded on. Wow. So all of those songs were recorded on that in the same studio, which is killer to think. Um, and then, uh, Steven Tyler from Aerosmith was a headliner at T-Mobile arena in Las Vegas in 2016. And I was a headliner in 2017. And then my very first show with the professional bull riders was Madison square garden in 2018. And then I got to sing the national anthem for Trump jr. Uh, on Sunday uh, for that one too. So it was pretty incredible. And then we just went across, you know, we went across the United States and all the major arenas this past year. And, and I also started doing corporate motivational speaking at the same time to tell everybody about it. So that brings me to, well, I mean, I'll go ahead and let, I'll let you ask out of that. I'll stop talking. That's kind of, okay. that's where the music is up to this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Sorry, okay, good. So, no, I love it. I could listen to this all day. I'm, it's great. All of it's great. Uh, what you said about relationships, building relationships, this is hard to, and I, I keep emphasizing the same points in certain people when I hear them pick up on a theme that is so important for people to understand. We learned you know, I learned, you know, trial by fire, the relationships that you have determine your prognosis for every day, really, like who you have in your inner circle close to you yep. and who you relate to and not even who you know, but who knows you, um, you know, who, who is going to be the person who your name pops in their head you know, right. when they hear an opportunity and how do you do that? And that's by adding value, not by just meeting somebody and saying, Hey, can you get me this or that? Right. It's like, Hey, how can I help you or be of service to you? And that's a right. very hard thing for people to grasp when you're kind of desperate and fighting in the trenches and you see someone who can help you. But um, talk, you've mentioned your wife a few times. What is her name? Kara. Kara. How did you guys meet? Volleyball, actually. There's a big volleyball community up here in Nashville, sand volleyball and indoor volleyball community. And I was that's fun playing volleyball. Yeah. I, I had actually done a tri mini triathlon that morning and I, I, but there's a tournament I got invited to come and play it. And it's, I say a tournament, but there's a guy that, uh, you know, North of Nashville that has four professional volleyball courts set up in his backyard with a pool in the middle of them all and a grill. Yeah. I mean, he's, he play he does volleyball for a living. Essentially he, <laughs> he hosts tournaments and whatnot, but, um, he does that and travels, but great little setup. But I, yeah, she actually wasn't supposed to be there that day. Her sister was supposed to have a birthday party and she canceled it. So she just decided to come and play volleyball. And then, um, we, uh, we hit it off as friends immediately. And then it, I mean, I think I fell in love with her instantly, but she was, I was friend zoned at first because I was a volleyball player. Um, and she did, she had rules about volleyball players and that kind of thing, but I really wasn't in the volleyball community. I was just kind of there. Um, but it's actually kind of funny, the list laundry list of things that she said she would never date. And I hit every one of All them. Of <laughs> Never say never, right? Yep, yep. And here we are over five years later married, so yeah. Oh, that's great. That is great. And how important is it to have that spouse and that partner who 
understands your drive to do something and supports it the way that she seems to do. She has to be incredibly uh, understanding in a lot of circumstances. I, I think that, I mean, there has, there's a lot of give and take when it comes to, you know, giving me up to when, when I'm in the public forum, mm -hmm. she, she understands that, that I'm essentially, I belong to the crowd at that point. And, and I mean, I'll always belong to her, but she has to be able to know. She yes, knows. You out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. but she, she also, there, there's a, as far as the, the take is concerned, um, she also knows that she doesn't have to worry about, I, I pay attention to everybody and nobody at the same time is, right. is what I usually like to say when it comes to, um, you know, the crowds and the girls and the guys now too, whatever, cause I wear a cowboy hat, I guess it's the thing. But, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, <clears throat> but, <laughs> but, um, I, 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 I'm give everybody equal attention. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter what a, a girl looks like or how flirty she is or, um, or if somebody's, you know, being inappropriate, she knows that I'm not gonna, I, I, I don't pay attention to it. I, 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 I'm, I'm grateful that people care and, and, and that they, that they're, but when it, if it doesn't have the right reason for it, she knows I won't pay attention to it. If it's, if they're just being nice, there's a difference between being, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 But she's, and, and, and also, the difference, yeah. yeah. And, but I also travel a lot, you know, and I'm, I'm out there, um, I'm on the road all the time and she's on the road in different places. And, I mean, especially with the PBR, she couldn't attend every one of those events. And you're talking about playing a major arena every every weekend, essentially, um, with them. And she can't be at every one of them. But obviously, there's a, a level of trust. But having said that, she waited till after she was 40 to get married the first time. I got married once before, and then I waited over 10 years to get married a second time. Yeah. Um, so we're a little bit more grown up than, you know, the... And, and yeah. I mean, we've, we've each had got our past relationships and different things like that, but that level of trust definitely uh, has to be there. And, but as far as the support is concerned, um, you know, and me chasing my dreams, I think, you know, when she's in the crowd, she sings every word to every one of my songs. She's one of my biggest fans. And, and if not my biggest fan, it's hard to say she's a bigger fan than my mom is, but I think she is. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, the, having her out there in the audience, it, it, it's, you know, it's great when she's there. Um, and, uh, but I also know that she, she trusts me when it comes to, um, the decisions that I make on the business side of things. And because straight up, I mean, when I first moved in with her and I had to start getting back into this, um, it, I, I was broke. I, I didn't have any money and it took me several months to get back on my feet and had it not been for her generosity and taking care of me. Um, it's nice to be able to finally give back to that, that relationship, um, yeah. that giving relationship. Um, but she was there to support and believed in everything that I was doing. And if, you know, if, if I needed to do something and, uh, she was there to be able to support it regardless. So yeah, it's extremely important to have that. Um, and even if, you know, if folks are listening and they don't have a spouse, and it sounds corny and they're like, oh, well, I'm single and I'm, yeah, um, I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, but I'd never use that as, I won't ever use that as an excuse as to right. being less successful. 
because it all boils down to me first and my, my heart and desire to get it done. Um, those extra, those extra support structures are really important. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But also in terms of, um, you know, having that relationship with someone who doesn't support your goals, your dreams, like, you know, that's that's what I was getting at. Yeah, exactly. Right. As hard as that is, it's, it's, it's so easy to say, but I think until you've walked in those shoes and you've been in a relationship that is not supportive of who you are and what you're working on, uh, once you've experienced that, I have, and I could definitely just like, it's like instant. Oh, I get have out. too. Like get out, like get out yep. immediately. Right? Well, it's, it's right. also, I think uh, and, that we have a little yeah. bit of a unique perspective in yeah. that, that everything has been, t- was taken away from us in yes. a heartbeat. Yeah. And I straight up, the, I would say the reason I, I had several relationships, you know, over the years, um, or a few, I guess is would be, I don't know if several, what the right word is, but That's okay. I, date, we'll you didn't say it. <laughs> I actively dated, yeah, yeah. um, you know, over the years in between my divorce and being married again. And, um, I had no patience whatsoever for any, anybody that wasn't 100% in my corner. I had yeah. none. And I think that Aaron Dyan really was, was the reason why that happened. Uh, I, I think that, uh, in the past, I was willing to settle for something that took, you know, yeah, yeah. Took, took a lot of the oxygen out of the room every time I walked in with a, that person. But um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't handling it after that. Very, I mean, taking very much of it after that. Yeah, no. yeah. So anyway, it changes yeah. changes your perspective. Okay, we're gonna get to a couple more things before I gotta let you go. I obviously have to talk about our event too, so I don't forget. It's a Great American Summit. We are super excited to be working this out with you so that you can attend and speak, perform, however this evolves um, is what we're looking forward to. So thank you so much for doing that. Can you talk for one second about the message that you're going to share with our audience there? I want to, I want everyone to know um, first off who I am. I want them to get to know me personally uh, because that's, I think the biggest connection or the biggest motivator is getting to know the real person behind it. The one thing that everyone has said about my shows is that if they, I want that they feel like they could be standing on stage with me doing the same thing that I'm just, I'm a guy living a dream with some, with talent. Um, but I want to be able to <clears throat> show how you can overcome adversity over and over and over again and drive forward and use that adversity as fuel to a fire to make you even more successful. Um, I, it, there are so many folks that I think that are stuck in, yeah. in trying to figure out how they're going to get past um, either it be lost or it be an adverse situation. But it really has a lot to do with your mentality and your heart. And I'm going to show that through getting to know who I am and the, the adversities that I went through and how I overcame those to become what I would consider relatively successful. Yes, I would consider it to be more than relatively successful too, and and on the way up. So thank you for that. I see you're wearing all this nine line apparel. Nine line, you know, Tyler will be at the event. The foundation is one of the beneficiaries. We also, for the first time, have grunt style participating. So we're trying to figure out something fun to do with Daniel and Tyler there. If you have any ideas, bring them. Uh, you know. Well, I, I I was I was with I was with grunt style first, and I was with nine line second. So I'll have all kinds of fun poking fun if you want me to. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is, <laughs> if you can't have fun, then you know, what's the point, right? So that's that. So before you come join us in April, you have more than, more than a few other things going on. You're heading yes. to Australia. You have a boot line that's really kicking up and, and moving on as well. You're speaking, you're doing all this. So 
Talk about your projects like you have now. You have a new single coming out. You're shooting another video with the Benghazi guys, which is so freaking awesome. So pick any, all the above and dig into it. Tell people how they can get involved. So I guess if you have uh, obviously some military listeners out there, we'll talk yeah. about the 50, the 50 meter target, what's right in front of us. Uh, November 7th, I'm flying out to Hawaii to uh, do an acoustic show in, sing the national anthem for the Marine Recon Foundation for the YMCA golf tournament that they have over there. The Marine Recon Foundation is the benefactor uh, uh, at the restaurant. Uh, super honored that they're bringing me out to Hawaii to do that. Obviously, a free trip to Hawaii to go do a, a show yeah. and be, you know, it's a great thing. And then as soon as I get done with that on November 11th, I'm actually, we were going to do that. You talked about doing this podcast. I think it was. Yeah. How many times? Yeah. On, on, yeah, on that was us. Veterans Day. You're like, yeah. unfortunately. I'm like, what? Um, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flying straight from Hawaii to LAX to meet Kara, and we're flying over. Mm-hmm with uh, one of the members of Professional Bull Riders for three concerts in Australia starting uh, November 18th, I believe it is. And we'll be in uh, Townsville, Tamworth, and Melbourne in Australia, three different weeks uh, traveling in between. And then we're going to take a little personal time at the end of that and go to the South Island, New Zealand for a week and then fly back. So December 11th, we'll be back home. And then next year, um, we're already busting loose on this thing because it's it's blown up a, a lot bigger than I expected it to, but I have a, um, uh, actually first I'll say my cowboy, uh, we have a brand new design, two designs coming out in cowboy, from my cowboy boot line. It's Ryan Weaver, old glory by lane, L A N E boots. Check them out. They're beautiful American flag boots, but we have two new designs, a Brown boot and an ankle zip boot coming out for women that don't like tall boots. Um, and then, uh, we're also at R- dab smack in the middle of funding a brand new music video we're going to have tig tonto and boone uh and this one we'll have all three of the benghazi survivors but we have decided to go with a human trafficking psa which i'm extremely wiggling around when you move you're getting a click in the in the audio sorry oh, I had sorry it we'll edit that part out but go ahead when I you're moving it around it's like click 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 arc. so yeah start uh, no, that no i'll do so the I'll boot, start with the boot line yeah okay sit still man Okay. So in January, in January, <laughs> all right, here we go. So in January, we have a new boot line that's coming out, or a new design of my boot line that's coming out. There'll be a brown one and a ankle zip version for women that don't like to wear tall boots. So it's Ryan Weaver Old Glory by Lane Boots that are coming out in January. Excited about that. We're also smack dab in the middle of funding a new music video with the three Benghazi survivors, Tig, Tonto, and Boone. For this one, we had just Tig and Tonto in my first one, Burn. But this one, we've decided to take a little bit of a different route. It's my new single, Arrival. It actually got released in March, and we've decided to take a different route with it. We're going to do a human trafficking PSA and a music video combo. I'm going to get both of those done together. So we're extremely excited to get involved with a bunch of different organizations regarding the human trafficking problem that is starting to become an epidemic in the United States. If anyone out there is listening, wants to become a sponsor, if you want to sponsor cast, be a sponsor cast member or be on set as a sponsor VIP behind the scenes, we're taking sponsorships right now. And any corporations that want to do product placement, we're taking corporate sponsors as well for product placement. Cool. That is a lot going on. So I'm glad for a lot of things. So I'm glad we caught you before you get swooped into your next cycle of insanity um, so that we can get this locked and loaded and get this out there and introduce you to our community as well prior to yes. our event. 
uh, you know, who's all going to be coming. So we like to ask everybody because this is so important to us. Obviously, it's a large part of why we're doing what we're doing. For me, uh, seeing people kind of trash the country and talk about how the American dream is dead when our families have given up so much for everybody to experience that was starting to impact me personally. So, you know, we're creating our own American dream and going out there to remind people that that dream is alive and well. You are proof of concept as, as well of that. So I'm going to ask you, what, what does the American dream mean to you? Because we know it's something different to everybody. So I'm always curious to hear what it means to the particular person I'm speaking to. With Boots in the Sand in Iraq in 2003 to standing on the center circle of the Grand Ole Opry stage in 2015 on September 11th, debuting without a record deal, record label, or a song on the radio, having a tour across the United States and with my Boots in the on the Madison Square Garden Sands and for the PBR, my own boot line, my own clothing line, uh, if I'm not the, the example of the American dream, I don't know what is. Anybody in this country has the ability to chase it because of the sacrifices of those who are willing to lay it all on the line for us. We got to experience that firsthand. Unfortunately, our family experienced it twice. And if anyone can listen to my story and not see how you can come from nothing and accomplish something in a, the most amazing country in the world, I don't know what it would take to get you to understand that. Perfect. Ryan, thank you so, so much. A, for your service, B, for the example you lead and for supporting what we're doing and being willing to jump in and be a part of it and share your story with our community. We're super excited to see where you're going from here and to be a little part of it, you know, coming up in April. So thank you so much. Tell people where they can follow you, connect with you, find out where you're performing, get involved with you. You can search Ryan Weaver Country on Google and everything, all of my social media is going to come up. But if you do Ryan Weaver Country, because there's a Ryan Weaver baseball player that's out there right now that he's pretty famous or getting pretty famous. But if you do Ryan Weaver Country on Google, that's the best way to find. I could give you five different websites and or my yeah. website and five different things. But if you do Ryan Weaver Country, that's the best way to find me. Awesome. Thank you so very much. You have an excellent day. Thanks for having me. Be safe. All right, everyone, there you have it. That wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. If you got any value out of the story with Ryan Weaver, uh, please share this podcast episode with a friend, share on social media, uh, leave us a five-star review. Uh, I'd like to personally thank Ryan for being here today. Uh, and don't forget to visit us online at americansnippets.com and see uh, the featured article that we did on Ryan Weaver. You can watch the video interview there as well. We'll also include some social media links so you can follow Ryan Weaver on his journey and all the things that he's doing. Don't forget, we have the Great American Summit coming up in April, uh, April 17th and 18th in Washington, D.C. It's a patriotic entrepreneurial event. There is no other event like it in the country. It is one of a kind. If you want to see who's speaking and what you're going to learn at the Great American Summit, just go to greatamericansummit.com. Again, we appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. We'll see you next week. <music>